0: We are privileged, um, really privileged to hear the word of God through uh, Pastor Chris Ogden today. Uh, He is the wife, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, just making sure we're here. He is the husband of Nikki, right? Husband of Nikki and the father of Olivia, Addie, and Jonah, three budding baseball, softball stars. Um, Pastor Chris played baseball in college for two weeks before he quit the team because he was too good for it, but uh, his children are following in his footsteps. He's a pastor of Horizon West Church, so he's been with us before. In fact, he's one of my favorite people to invite to speak um, Horizon West Church was planted out of First Baptist Church Orlando, and in since the time that Pastor Chris came last, uh, that church has merged with a church called Oasis, which was pastored by William Karshima, served by uh, Pastor William and his wife Shiloh. Um, William has spoken here. He's a, um, a pastor from Nigeria, an amazing, wonderful man of God, and together they've teamed up as superpowers uh, and formed... Horizon West Church. So they've kept the name and they're meeting at the old Oasis Church building, which is down the road from here. One of our nearest and closest neighbors, but also one of our dearest neighbors. Um, Pastor Chris and Pastor William are both dear, dear, dear brothers um, to me. and. Um, Pastor Chris has been um, just a real friend and a brother and a, um, yeah, just a colleague in, in ministry. He's for the kingdom and he's for the city. Um, a lot of what we've done in terms of outreach events to the local community has been spearheaded by, by Pastor Chris. Um, I would say like at, at a personal level, as we've gone through this pandemic, like all of us have been, like we've experienced a lot of, a, a lot of loss and a lot of disruption, a lot of confusion and, and chaos. And uh, we needed, all of us needed anchors. And for some of us, that was here. For a lot of us, that was here when we gathered as the people of God. Uh, but for people like me, I, I definitely found solace here. Uh, but friends like Pastor Chris were really helpful. They were a lifeline to me as we were navigating through like uh, this this maze and this muck without knowing where we're going or what the next step is going to be. Um, our meetings together to talk about what's going on in our own hearts and what's going on in our own lives and our families, what's going on in our church, and what are we supposed to do next. Um, I think the relationships, I, I know that the relationships that we had were really helpful in, in helping to, uh, to get through that season and to bring us to where we are here. Um, your pastor, me, is a better man-husband pastor shepherd because of my relationship with our guest speaker, uh, Pastor Chris. He has been, um, yeah, he's been serving faithfully and when, uh, whenever this, uh, our pulpit, like I, I am, I'm pretty guarded with our pulpit because I don't want just anyone to come and preach to you. I want, if, if I'm not going to be able to feed our congregation, uh, I want someone that I can trust and someone that I know is going to feed them the Word of God and not just be a great preacher but also be able to shepherd your hearts and shepherd your souls and to lead you into a hearing of the Word of God. And so um, Pastor Chris is one of my favorite people to come uh, share the pulpit with is that he might preach the Word. So as we hear, uh, as we continue through this uh, look at the uh, book of Psalms, I will say uh, something I didn't say in the first service, but usually I ask for our sermon notes to come by Wednesday of the week before, um, but it came really late, and I was like, man, what's taking so long? And he was like, here's my rough draft, and it's not yet done, and here's like a couple thoughts I'll fill in later. I was like, why are you taking like such a long time to send this information, but it's because he's not recycling something here. This is something that he prepared as a labor of love, and it takes at least 20, 25 hours, I would say, to write a sermon, and this is his labor of love just for us. He hasn't preached this at his church or anywhere else. Um, This is the second time, the first time being our Alpha service, and so this is a message from the heart of God, through the heart of a pastor preacher, to us here at Harvest. So, with all that being said, can we give a round of warm welcome to Pastor Chris Ogden.
1: Thank you, DL, and uh, yeah, all all of the same to you uh, and to this church. Both the friendship, DL, that you and I have enjoyed for the last three years, and and I don't know that crisis situations create friendships. Maybe they do, but they certainly reveal them. Um, and the way that you and I have been able to just continue to sharpen each other, encourage each other, um, I feel all of the same uh, personally and in the relationship, and and really. The friendship extends beyond your pastor and me to your church and our church. Um, I said this in the first service, I want you to know as well, uh, when we were displaced because of COVID last year, um, our our uh, church, Horizon West, was meeting at a school and we were not able to get back in um, and we were scrambling because as churches started to open up and people were desiring and I believe really needing to be together, um, we were just striking out and finding places to do that, and this church and this room was the very first place that Horizon West Church regathered uh, to worship. Um, in fact, Jim, you remember, you were right over there <laughs> running sound, and, and so um, whether or not you knew that, you have a hand in that because you're a church um, that is led by and filled with people who love the Lord, love the kingdom of God, uh, and, and value the gospel above anything else, and so thank you for that friendship um i uh you know we're in this uh summer of psalms i think is the is the title of it um and it it occurred to me that kind of a unique thing about the psalms there is not and i'm not gonna say probably there is not a book of the bible that i have spent more time personally excavating and less time preaching um so like on one side you could have like well, I've never uh, really done a deep dive on the book of Habakkuk, but I've got to preach on it, you know. This is the opposite for me. Um, I have done very little, if any, preaching in the book of Psalms, uh, but I live in it. And so when when D.L. said, hey, we're, we're in this kind of psalm series, um, I, I just opened my Bible and I started going through uh, the psalms, and I was looking for places that I had circled something, uh, underlined something, highlighted something, because it's everywhere in, in the book of Psalms, even written notes, and, and I came across three Psalms that really stood out to me, that I went, man, man one of these three is probably the one uh, that I need to prepare, because there had just been such a richness in my own experience of the Psalm. Um, wh- one of those was Psalm chapter 2, I had underlined this unique phrase where it says, the kings of the earth and the rulers gather together against, I had underlined those two words, together against the Lord and his anointed. Because the thought that occurred to me in Psalm chapter 2 was that not all unity is good unity. Like in the body of Christ, in the church, based on the finished work of Jesus and and the basic tenets of the gospel, unity is a a beautiful and a necessary thing. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one even as he and the the Father are one. But unity outside of the church, unity in our world, in cultures that, that reject God, that are running in the opposite direction of God. Unity there is oftentimes a unity that is together against God. Dangerous unity. But that's not my message this morning. Um, another one was Psalm chapter 19. I was looking at that and I, I had made a note that in Psalm 19 we see three witnesses to the glory of God. There's the witness of creation that speaks to the glory of God. There's a wit- the witness of the word which commands us to worship God, and then there's the witness of God's people. I thought, man, that, that is rich stuff, but that is not what the Lord led me to preach. And then finally, Psalm 42. Uh, this passage I had written down in my margins, this came to me at a very, very important moment. I was in a ministry position, and I was on the verge of quitting. Um, nobody knew that but me. Not even my wife knew. Um, and I had jotted down and made a note of three gifts that God wants to give his people. In Psalm 42, the gift of thirst, the gift of tears, and the gift of hope. And I love, love that passage, but that wasn't the one that the Lord led me to. All the way through, my only condition that I had put on myself was that I would not preach Psalm chapter 23. The reason is because everybody knows Psalm 23, right? Like I wanted to go somewhere that maybe you didn't know and and find something new. And then things started happening all around me and in my life. That kept pointing me back to Psalm 23. Got a text from Sarah, one of the members at Horizon West Church, and she let me know that her husband Brad, 34 years old, had received a cancer diagnosis. And then I showed up at church and saw Linda, whose son Tyler had passed away almost a year to the day prior, and she just fell into my arms crying. And then through my wife I learned that another close friend had received a diagnosis of lupus at church two weeks ago. One of our members came up and confided that she's battling anxiety and depression and through tears asked if I would pray with her. I saw Haley, 33 years old, whose husband passed away from a mysterious illness that we still don't know exactly what it was. And she's inching closer to her one, the one year anniversary of her new chapter of life as a widow with three young children. And then the the final straw for me, and I was texting D.L., I said, man, D.L., I'm thinking this, and I had even sent some of those chapters. I said, I think it's going to be one of these three. But all that was going on. Then Friday night, I got a call from Lewis. Lewis was a part of the college ministry at First Baptist Orlando, when my wife and I had led that for five years. A good friend, uh, less than a year ago, I had the privilege of marrying Lewis and his wife Emily at a small ceremony in, in their backyard. And Lewis called me and his wife had, 28 years old, had had a seizure at work, uh, been rushed to the ER. They had run tests and determined that there was a tumor on her brain. He said, Chris, I need you to pray. All of this going on and all of us have had things going on, have we not? I know that this church experienced a great loss last summer, I believe it was, or maybe earlier in the year. And there's probably more that I don't know about. I hear about Matthias, and we're praying for him as he battles, and we're battling. And I just believe that more than ever we need to be reminded that we have a good shepherd. So I texted I said, Hey, has anybody done Psalm 23? He said, Yes. And then he told me who it was. It was Pastor Ralph. And I'm like, man, no. Like, come on, Pastor Ralph. He's a good friend and he's gonna kill it, you know. And but I could not shake the sense that maybe uh, we needed to hear it again, because maybe for some reason beyond what I even know, there's someone in the room today that needs to hear again, or maybe for the first time, that God is your good shepherd, that Jesus wants to shepherd you. So with that foundation, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start in John chapter 10, and then springboard back over to Psalm chapter 23 make sure I don't lose my space here. Um, John chapter 10 obviously is going to jump us into the New Testament. We're going to hear the words of Jesus. But this passage is one that really kind of lays a framework or groundwork for Psalm 23 because Jesus is the fulfillment of what David projected in Psalm 23. Listen to what he says, John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What I want to do this morning is just point out from Psalm chapter 23, six gifts that our good shepherd Jesus wants to give us. Each of these is going to be kind of um, led into by seeing this interplay between God as our shepherd and us as sheep. There, There are certain things that God is doing that are true of God that have a result in our life, that become the gift that he wants to give us. And so we're going to do that. Before I read Psalm 23, would you again just bow with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, over the next 25, 30 minutes, um, we're going to have your word open. And we're going to be, uh, most of us, hearing. And and I'll be speaking. Um, But God, there's there's an element of what's happening this morning that goes beyond anything we can see or hear. And that is that the Good Shepherd is with us present here and God you know exactly what every man and woman and teenager and child in this room needs and God I pray they would receive good gifts from the good shepherd this morning God go beyond anything that that we could ask or imagine and and let it uh, let your word and the truth of your word let it shape us let it challenge us let it encourage us um, and let it create change in our lives God We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm chapter 23, let me read this for us. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first of God's part of the equation that we see in the passage is that the Lord is our shepherd, and the result is we shall not want. We shall not want gift that I see in this is that Jesus provides us good leadership. I first heard that expression, good leadership, applied to God on a podcast a few months back and the woman kept using the phrase of Jesus is good leadership and I thought I've never, I've never thought in exactly those terms about the work of God in my life, but it is so true and it resonated deeply with me and I think I know why. Because we all know something about bad leadership, We've all been exposed to that. We've all worked for somebody or grew up in the home of someone or, God forbid, in some ministry that we were involved in and it was bad leadership, toxic leadership, insecure leadership, egotistical leadership. And scripture says, Jesus is not a leader like that. Jesus gives us the gift of good leadership. Let's go back to John chapter 10 again, verses 1 through 5, as Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. He says, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Let me ask us a question this morning. Are any of you tired of listening to the voice of strangers? The voices of 24-hour cable news, the voices of social media, the voices of, of culture and a world that wants to drown out and deafen us to the voice of our shepherd could it be that the lack that you experience that you feel in your life the lack of wisdom or of truth or for you maybe it's a lack of peace could be because you've tuned into the voices of strangers and it's time to return to the good leadership to the familiar voice of Jesus our shepherd second part God makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside quiet waters and the result for us is that he restores our soul the second gift I see in this is the gracious restoration of Jesus I'm going to attempt to do something that I didn't do in the first service I want to read Matthew chapter 11 if I can get there real quickly Um, and then I want to read it again in a different uh, version of sorts but Matthew chapter 11 Jesus who by the way had the most important task in the history of the world right no one would argue with that had more on his plate than anyone in the history of the world to do, he said something striking in Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, and then I want to I want to reread it in the message. Jesus says this, Matthew 11:28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. To put it in modern vernacular, as Eugene Peterson said, it might sound something like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Does that not sound like the kind of life that you desire? Jesus says, I'm going I'm to make it light. I'm going to make it easy. Not, not that it's going to be simple. Not that it's always going to be carefree. But Jesus says, my way is a way of gracious restoration. It's the soul catching up with the body, as one person said. I, I love that phrase, unforced rhythms of grace. Where we're not just pressing through all day, every day to work and to to complete and to impress and to accumulate. But we learn when it's time to work and when it's time to rest. When it's time to play. When it's time to sit on the floor with our kids and waste some time together in relationship. Unforced rhythms of grace. This summer I read the book, or well, rather listened to the book, uh, my first Audible experience. Anybody do Audible books? You guys do that? Okay. I did it once. I'll be honest, I didn't love it. I loved the book. I just like holding the book in my hand, man, you know. But the book was, read, uh, was uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I, I, I almost am embarrassed to say that the reason I listened to it on Audible was because I didn't have time to read it uh, unless I was driving in the car. So The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer. And it was this gentle reminder, if you will, that the way of Jesus is a different way than the rat race of our culture. It's the way of Genesis 1, where there was evening. And there was morning, and the day was over. And there was Sabbath, and the week was over. And all of it was very good. David says that God made him lie down in green pastures and led him beside quiet waters. What would that look like in 21st century central Florida? What are green pastures and quiet waters for you and for me let me just throw some things out there to stimulate ideas. You'll have others. Maybe for us, green pastures and quiet waters looks like a hot coffee and a good book. Or a soft blanket and watching a sunset. Or going for a long walk or eating a good meal or having a refreshing conversation with a friend. But slowing down long enough for the gracious restoration of our souls. At the hands of our good shepherd to be completed. See, I believe as we we participate in these unforced rhythms of life with God, we will experience the gracious restoration he has for us. Let's go back to Psalm 23. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the result is that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. The third gift in the passage is this. Sure confidence. Sure confidence. We, we, We use that word sure In one of the songs, I don't know if you caught that, but your love is sure, I think was the line that it was. And we can know that and we can have a sure confidence in our good shepherd. This middle section is probably the most well-known passage or well-known verses in the most well-known chapter in probably the most well-known book of the Bible. Most people, whether or not they've ever been inside of a church, if they heard the words, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. They would know that that comes from the Bible. Uh, They may have heard it in a funeral. Uh, They may have been at a deathbed situation with a family member. They might have been a fan of Coolio's song Gangsta's Paradise or whatever it is. But that is a familiar line and sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. We just kind of gloss over it. But what a great confidence we can have that even when we go through the worst things of life, we can be fearless. We can face it head on. Several years ago, I was on a flight back from San Antonio, Texas, and this was obviously before COVID. You know, we're going we're gonna to mark everything going forward as pre-COVID, post-COVID. Don't know if you realize we're coming up on the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. And similarly, for those of us that can remember that, it's strange to say that, but some of us can't. But for those of us that remember 9-11, there was before 9-11 and after 9-11. Well, this was before COVID, and I was flying back on this flight from San Antonio, and I was toward the back of the plane. I always am because I book flights late, and um, I'm on the aisle seat. There's a middle seat, empty, and there's a young girl in her 20s who's in the, pa- in, the, uh, in the window seat. And we just kind of exchanged, you know, probably names, and, hey, where are you flying to, or, we, you know, where you ended up, whatever, yada, yada, settle in, and uh, just kind of a quiet flight until we start hitting some turbulence. And I'm not, um, like, I'm not, I don't have a phobia of flying, but I breathe a little easier when I'm on the ground. Does that make sense? Like, it doesn't stop me from getting on a plane, but I don't love it. And so we hit turbulence, and I've had turbulence before, but then it gets to be, like, super turbulent, um, and then it gets a little beyond super turbulent. The the plane is is shaking and bouncing and a, a couple times just diving, like, to the left, and People are gasping, and I'm seeing, like, couples are just, like, huddled together with their heads together. Kids are crying. Everybody's buckled. The pilot is talking to us constantly. And I've got my phone out, just to give you an idea of of how scary it was. I had my phone out, and my wife's number pulled up. I was ready just if it it was like, this is honestly my thought. If the masks fall out of the thing, I'm calling my wife. (laughs) Like, baby, I love you. Take care of the kids. Uh, It was like that. And the girl on the window seat just reaches over at one point in the middle of some of the worst turbulence and just grabs my hand. And I thought, I did not think I'd be holding this girl's hand on this flight when we started to, and and then my second thought was, if we make it through this, I'm going to have to explain to my wife why I was holding the hand of this girl on the flight. But she grabs my hand, she's squeezing the life out of it, and she goes, would you please pray? Now, I, I don't think I told her I was a pastor, I don't think I was reading anything spiritual or my bible or anything but she just grabbed my hand would you please pray when i get into scary situations in order to trick my mind into thinking everything's okay i I get super chill on the outside like i will look like i am just i have sure confidence but on the inside i did not feel that And I needed to grasp something and lay hold of something that would remind me where my confidence is. And as that girl squeezed the life out of my hand, I just instinctively said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the plain is rocking and I am holding on to Psalm 23. You may have never been in a flight that you were concerned about going down. You may not be uh, figuratively in such a situation now. But my guess is that every person in this room today is going through something for which they could be reminded that you can have confidence in God. Maybe you've lost a job in the last year and a half or you've changed careers. Maybe the COVID ramifications have brought challenges to your finances. Maybe it has exasperated marriage issues or relationship issues that were already there and now feel like they're on the brink. Maybe you're praying relentlessly for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter who still is so far from the Lord. Maybe you're battling a secret addiction or anxiety or some other life debilitating issue so here's the question where do you turn when you face adversity where do you put your confidence when things get shaky the other day we were driving as a family my wife and I and our three kids and if you have children, especially young children, you know that there's really no such thing as a private conversation. If your kids are within 20 or 30 feet, and they have this remarkable like superpower hearing. I don't know how they have it, because I don't have it. They hear everything, and and so we're trying to have a quiet conversation, and and they're listening in the back, and it was about my gym membership. I have started kind of going to the gym more, and and, you know, we pay monthly for that uh, privilege. And, um, but we now live in Summerport neighborhood, and there is a clubhouse in Summerport that has a, g- a gym. doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it's free. I said, baby, I think I'm going to cancel my gym membership and just use the, the clubhouse. She said, no, no, no. She's like, I really like you going to the gym because it's good for you. You get up early, and it kind of like you know it's it's just and also there's guys that I go and work out with and they wouldn't be able to go with me to the other so she's kind of trying to talk me out of this which she did my 5-year-old son who I love wrestling with and kind of just sparring with from time to time he perks up from his booster seat and says dad I don't want you to stop working out cuz I don't want it to be too easy to beat you when I get older I'm like who does this kid think he is my daughter Olivia says Jonah you know that dad just takes it easy on you. Jonah immediately says, well, I take it easy on him. Sure confidence. I want you to know this morning that it's not the kind of confidence that I am encouraging on you. The kind of confidence a shepherd has in his sheep is not the sense that 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 sheep can do anything. It's knowing that there's a shepherd that's going to care for him. It's knowing that there is a shepherd in whom he can have sure confidence. David understood this as a shepherd. Do you remember when he was going to fight Goliath and King Saul's going, man, you're, you're too young of a boy and you got no armor and you can't even hold a spear, David. And he says, it's okay. It's okay. He says, when I was out tending the sheep, Sometimes a bear or a lion would come and grab one of the sheep and I would chase that bear or lion down and I would grab it by the beard and I would strike it and kill it. And the one who delivered me from the hand of the uh, bear and the lion will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David said some things. Go back and read it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. You know the story, but go back and read it because David says some things that you're like, who does this guy think he is? Things like, Goliath, this very day I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. You're like, man, this kid was confident. But you know why he was confident? David was not confident because he was good with a slingshot. The secret to that is in what David says to Goliath. He says, you have defied the armies of the living God. Goliath had not picked a fight with David. He had picked a fight with the living God. And David knew that God doesn't lose fights. So he could enter into the battle with sure confidence that it was already won. You may have heard it said that that God fights your battles, but the truth is God doesn't fight your battles. God fights his own battles. And if you belong to him, then you are his own and he fights his battle for you. And you can say with confidence, I know that I have the victory. A sheep who has confidence in its shepherd will stay close when danger comes. And a sheep who is in the habit of staying close to its shepherd will grow in the assurance that they can have sure confidence in the shepherd. Go back to Psalm 23 again. David writes, For you are with me, your rod and your staff, and the result is they comfort me. Fourth gift we see in this passage is the gentle correction of the shepherd. You may have heard it said that the shepherd's rod and staff could be used both to protect the sheep. In other words, when that lion or that bear or that wolf comes, it's the shepherd's rod and its staff that can strike those animals to protect the sheep. But those same instruments can be used to correct the sheep. The staff could reach down into a pit and pull a small lamb out who had fallen in. The rod could break the leg of a lamb who was in the habit of wandering because it's better for a lamb to have a broken leg with the shepherd than to be devoured by the wolves. So these instruments could both be protective and also corrective. The shepherd's goal is not ultimately to not inflict pain on the sheep. The ultimate goal is to save the sheep, even if it means temporary pain. David does not say, I will fear no pain. He says, I will fear no evil. Because he knows, and you know, that God is relentlessly committed to keeping you from evil. And to pursuing what is best for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. For at the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The writer of Hebrews is going to say, if you're experiencing discipline, if you're experiencing the gentle correction of the shepherd, it's because you're his child. God is not against you. When I went to pray for Emily, who's in her late 20s, Lewis's wife, dealing with a tumor on her brain and I said, Emily, what are you feeling? She said, I'm scared. Appreciated the the honesty, right? She said, Pastor Chris, is God punishing me? I said, oh, Emily, God is not punishing you. God doesn't punish. God treats us as children. And God only allows into our lives things that will draw us closer to him. Like my buddy Ryan, who sitting at, That one spot burgers on McGuire the other day said to me, Chris, as my marriage is falling apart around me, and I'm doing everything I know how to do to save it, this is the hardest season I've ever been through. And he said, but Chris, I will tell you this, I have never been closer to Jesus. He went on to say, if if circumstances like the one I'm in now is what produces this level of relationship with Christ, then I'm willing to go through it. Another individual, a pastor I had in younger years said, Blessings are not the good things that happen to us. A blessing is anything that drives us into the arms of Jesus. It's why David could write your rod and your staff, though sometimes they correct me and sometimes they inflict pain on me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They bring me back into the arms of the shepherd. David goes on to say this, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and the result is, he says, my cup overflows. Gift number five is the abundant provision of our shepherd Jesus. When David mentions the presence of his enemies, you need to know that David was someone who was familiar with enemies. I've told people I have only one enemy, and that enemy dies the day I die, if you understand what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, I am my only enemy, right? That the only person I've ever had, you know, trouble with in life is is my own sin nature. Like that, that's my thing. But David had enemies. David knew what enemies looked like. They looked like a giant named Goliath. They looked like a king named Saul who was hell bent on destroying him. They looked like Philistines and Moabites and Amalekites. Eventually, for David, enemies looked like the members of his own household, like Absalom, his son, who sought to have him killed and overthrow him. And take his kingdom. David understood what it was to be in the presence of enemies. And there is one thing that you don't do when you're in the presence of enemies. You don't sit down to a meal. You know what you do in the presence of enemies, right? You keep your eyes up. You keep your hand on your sword. You stay on the tips of your toes. You're ready to go. And David said, no, no, no. no. Not with my shepherd. I sit down at a table in the presence of my enemies. I don't have to watch my back. I don't have to live with one hand on the sword ready to defend myself. I can enjoy the abundant provision of God and know that my shepherd, Jesus, will take care of me. And here's why David knew that. It's right there embedded in the verse. He said, because you anoint my head with oil. You go, man. What do essential oils have anything to do with this, right? No, it's not not essential oils, but what, what, what is the thing about oil? Why is that the secret? Here's why. Because in scripture, oil is always symbolic of the favor of God. It's why when the kings of Israel and Judah would be uh, set aside to lead and to rule, they would be anointed with oil. David himself experienced this, where, where the oil would run down the head and into the beard and drip down, and as that oil dripped in, seeped into their skin and ran from their beard that they soaked in the favor and the goodness of God for them it's the same reason that James in the New Testament said if one of you is sick let him call for the elders of the church to come and anoint him with oil and pray over him right why? Because the anointing of oil is symbolic of the favor of God. It's, it's like saying, God, we're setting this person aside for your special attention. God, we want all of our nation to be blessed, but especially the king. We want all of our people to be well, but especially this person who is in intensive care. We're setting that individual aside for God's special attention and favor. And David says, I have that. You've anointed my head with oil. David could rely on God's abundant provision because he knew the favor of God rested on him even when circumstances could have made him afraid or discouraged. I told this story and uh, I'm going to tell it again. And there's always a risk when you tell a story from the from the uh, pulpit. Typically you want to be kind of vague and it's better if it happened a while ago. Because it's like if it's fresh you're like, okay, I'm not sure if I should be sharing this. But I'm going to share it. A few weeks ago, my family came home from a a road trip to find that our air conditioning unit had gone out. And um, as you know, it's average daily temperature of 186 degrees in central Florida. Slight exaggeration, but not much. And uh, man, it was hot. And we're like, obviously, you know, this is kind of a need. Like, I know there's people that survive in the world in places with no air conditioning, but this this feels kind of like a need. So we got to do this. Well, as you know, air conditioning units are not inexpensive, and budget was tight. And we went, man, we're we're going to have to kind of do some things and figure some things out, and have a friend come and look at it, try to get the cheapest one we can find, and then we'll you know we'll build back up. And by October, November, we'll kind of have things. But it was stressful. And last Sunday morning, I went to the back porch, and I usually I, I don't I don't do you know these hour long quiet times daily. If you do, God bless you. But I try to get at least five or ten minutes on the back porch and just sit and just breathe and watch creation and and just kind of live in the goodness of God for a few minutes Um, and I was recognizing some inability to do that and it was related to anxiety about finances it's like man it's a lot of money this is thousands of dollars like this is gonna this is gonna set us back like we're not gonna be able to I said Lord take it you know abundant provision (laughs) showed up at church that day never spoke of a need, never told anybody what was going on, one of our members came up to me between services and said, hey, Pastor Chris, my wife and I wanted to to give you this. Hands me an envelope, stick it in my back pocket, go on with my day, do the two services, get done, I'm going to my car, go to sit down, I feel something, And remember, oh, I've got this envelope, I open it up, and it is a check for exactly to the dollar the amount of money we needed for the new AC unit. And I don't cry. I wish I could tell you I cried. that would make the story better. But I went, this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is literally unbelievable. This man who is one of our deacons and, and walks with God and loves Jesus, just heard from the good shepherd, hey, I've blessed you and I want you to bless Pastor Chris. And he did. He was, he was obedient. To make it even more, talk about abundant provision. I didn't share this in the first one. The, the friend who did the AC unit for us did it. It was the exact to the dollar amount, but he gave us a $200 discount. So not only to get a new AC unit, I took my wife to the Capitol Grill the other night. It's like, man, this is the goodness of God. And, and DL and I will, will, would be one and the same with this. We do not preach prosperity gospel because here's the problem. Prosperity gospel elevates things like that. Above the presence of God. Like like as if the gift is better than the giver. The problem with the prosperity gospel is God isn't good enough. He's too focused on your temporary needs and wants. And we don't believe that. We believe that the goodness of God, the favor of God, the provision of God extends far beyond. But every once in a while he meets a need in just such a way that it's like reminding us, I've got you. You can trust me. I'm for you. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. Just walk with me and just enjoy grace, my unmerited favor. This, for the Christian, looks like way more than just an AC unit or a night at the Capitol Grill. John, one of the followers of Jesus, said in chapter 1, verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Just stacks and stacks of grace, more than we could ever need. God provides. It is not just a temporary blessing, it is a future and a permanent fulfillment. And it's what caused David to say in those very same verses My cup overflows. Not only do I have enough, I have more than I could ever drink of. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can say with even greater confidence My cup overflows. Last part of Psalm 23, David says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And the result, the final result, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Gift number six, not five. I wrote that wrong. Thanks for pointing it out, guys. Gift number six is eternal life. You need to know that in the Jewish thinking, all of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, written by by Hebrew uh, Israelite men primarily, if not exclusively. Jewish thought tended to think of eternal life more in terms of its quality than its quantity. Here's what I mean. Life in the context of Jewish thought is is something that you possess that that has a richness and a fullness here and now. It's, it's the shalom of God. It's this depth, it's like a well of living water. That's how Jesus spoke about it. It's a quality. And yes, that's true, uh, but, but we also can think of eternal life as quantity. It's something that never ends. It goes on forever. It's, it's, a, it's a time issue. But did you know that Jewish leaders, even religious leaders in Jesus' day, were not of the same mind as to whether life forever was a thing? Pharisees believed it was, Sadducees believed it was not. They believed in the quality of life, but not life forever. And you go, how could guys study the Old Testament and study the scriptures and come to a different conclusion? And I believe the reason is the Old Testament isn't very clear about it. There's hints, there's illusions, but there's no systematic theology of eternal life in the Old Testament. And yet, in spite of that, David would say this in Psalm chapter 16, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11, he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, David knew, whether through revelation or through experience, that the God who had delivered him from the lion and the bear... The God who had given him victory over the giant Goliath. The God who had been with him as the anointing oil dripped from his beard. The God who took him from a pasture and placed him on the throne of Israel. That that God was not going to stop being good to David when his earthly life ended. David said, this must go on forever. If I know anything about God, I know he's never going to abandon me. He's never going to give up on me. And did you know that those verses, Psalm 16, that we just read, were the exact verses that Peter referenced in his Pentecost sermon? Because see what David and the prophets merely quietly forecast, Peter and the other apostles in the early church would see fulfilled. The risen Savior, King of Kings, Jesus, who had died in front of their eyes and risen to life again. Paul would pick up on this idea in 1 Corinthians 15 and say, if Jesus has been raised to life, so you also will be raised to life. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have put your trust in him for salvation, you can have confidence that for you, there is eternal life. Meaning both life that will never end with God for all of eternity, and life that, is, that has depth and richness as you walk and learn to live in the kingdom that is peace and joy, and righteousness. The gospel, in simple terms, is this, that the good shepherd became the lamb who was slain to save us. The shepherd who protects us became the lamb who died to save us. And every good gift we receive from God, including all of these gifts from Psalm 23, begin with the gift of eternal life. When we surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus. When we repent, when we turn, that just simply means we were going this direction and we turn and we say, God, I'm going to go in a new direction. I put my trust, my faith in Jesus. I'm going all in. I receive your mercy and your salvation. That is the conduit to receiving the goodness and the gifts of our shepherd Jesus. I want to do this. We're going to we're gonna um, do two things, actually. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song and then I'm going to pray for you again but bef- but first I don't want to leave this room before I give you an opportunity to respond in some way this isn't like a raise a hand walk an aisle this is you and God in your seat but I want to hit on a few of the things that you might come in needing or some of the things that are weighing heavily on your soul and I want to just speak those and then speak life over you and if you would let me to do that as I share some of these things identify go Lord that's me that's That's what I need. Would you close your eyes where you're at? If you came in this morning and you're facing anxiety or uncertainty, receive the good leadership of Jesus. If you're experiencing this morning shame or brokenness, then in this moment, receive the gracious restoration of Jesus. If this morning you're walking through a valley of shadows, receive the sure confidence of Jesus. If you're going through a season of pain or of pruning, receive the gentle correction of Jesus. If this morning you're dealing with a need that you're not able to meet, whether materially or relationally or spiritually, receive the abundant provision of Jesus. And if, in this moment, you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior for the first time, then his gift to you is that you might receive the eternal life of Jesus. The team's going to lead us in a song. Would you stand as they lead us in worship?